Don't you love the way God works? My message today is about being reborn. Today is an introduction to a new series that I've titled Foundations. And the heart of our study is going to be an in-depth probe into what is the normal Christian birth. Now that might sound like a bit unusual language, but the normal Christian birth is a phrase used to describe the process we might call regeneration, or we might call it conversion, we might call it entry into the kingdom of God, but it's the steps of initiation that are necessary for each of us to go through so that we enter into a full and complete relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I guess another simpler way we might introduce the topic is to ask, what do I have to do to be saved? Or what does it mean to be born again spiritually? Now, you might think that that's a pretty simple question to answer. But in my experience, most Christians are not really confident of being able to articulate and explain and express what it means to be fully born again. Have snippets of it, but don't really understand the complexity and the completeness of what God wants for us. And so I guess this topic's a little bit like stripping back an onion. There's lots of layers to it. And so as we take off some of the layers today, if you don't understand everything, that's okay. Because we're going to keep taking the layers off. And you'll get to a point where you really understand in great detail what this topic's all about. Now this study may stretch your brain a little bit if you're not a great academic, but that's okay. It's okay for us to be um, diving deep into the depths of God's Word and sometimes we don't come up with all the answers straight away. It's a process of learning. And it's okay if things go over your head today, but I promise you you'll pick them up along the way. Because we come from different denominations, different backgrounds, we've had different teaching, there's probably going to be some conflicting or different belief systems that we have. And so because of the nature of this study, what I think it would be really helpful to do is if in the journey you get stuck on something or you don't quite understand what I'm trying to explain, ask a question. It's a really healthy dynamic if if you've got the courage to put your hand up and say, hey, Mark, I didn't quite get that. Could you explain it another way? A, it keeps me on my toes. But B, I think it's a really healthy part of a learning forum. I am not the fount of all wisdom. Okay? And it's great when we can come to a point, if I don't explain something properly, that you challenge me to get it and make it more simpler for you. So looking at found, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. I knew there'd be one. I won't say anything about Collingwood losing the grand final. <laughs> it's old news, eh? Okay. Look, at first, thinking about going back and looking at foundations might not sound very exciting. But I can assure you at the end of this series, lives are going to come alive. And you'll understand what I mean. To, to experience and know... And they're the, they're the initiation process of coming into relationship with God. But once we've got that initiation process completed, we don't have to go back over the same things all the time because that just keeps us as babies. We need to move on to maturity. The sad thing is that when you come to church, you don't get to choose what the preacher or the teacher 
communicates. And so really the onus is on leadership to furnish you with the full counsel of God. You know, you can't grow to maturity if someone hasn't walked you through the basics and helped you understand them. And there are so many people in churches sitting in seats that really don't understand what they believe and why they believe it. And it's not their fault. It's not their fault because someone hasn't discipled them. Someone hasn't journeyed with them and helped them understand and experience the things that God wants us to. There's a great tragedy that's happening in Christian circles in this generation. In the attempt to teach fundamental truths about God and entry into the kingdom and being born again, there's a whole range of euphemisms that are starting to circulate in Christianity. they become sort of the, the fashionable language of the day. But the problem is it's not biblical language. And so we're setting people up to head off on a tangent because we're not teaching what the apostles taught. We're teaching something slightly different, slightly extra. That's really significant because if we move away from biblical language and biblical concepts, then we're moving away from the heart of what the New Testament is all about. We don't have biblical principles and we don't have biblical thought. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Have you ever been in a scenario where you've heard the guy up the front or the lady up the front say, today I want you to make a decision for Christ or today I want you to receive Jesus into your heart. Have you heard that language before? Nowhere in the New Testament will you hear that language. It's error. It's total error. And what it does on two counts is it sets those people that hear and understand that to fail. You cannot invite Jesus to be in your heart. He's the second person of the Trinity. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He has all authority and power. He's God and man together. He lives in a human body. He's at one place in one time. So to teach someone to invite Jesus into their life has nothing to do with what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us to receive the Holy Spirit into our life. So if people understand that I'm inviting Jesus into their heart, it's the wrong theology. And it diminishes the role of the Holy Spirit. And so in the birthing process of bringing someone through to fullness in life in, in a relationship with God, they get stuck because they don't go right through to the fullness of what God wants. So this series intends to take us back to the heart, the basics of the New Testament and make sure that we get the fundamentals really right. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus said, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. 
so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now this discussion between Nicodemus and Jesus is the first time we hear that language in Scripture about being born again. But Jesus doesn't get to teach it in great detail because Nicodemus gets stuck trying to understand what Jesus is talking about. He th- he's, he's thinking in the natural. He's thinking about a natural birth. How can I go back into my mother's womb and come out the birth canal again? Like that, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. What are you talking about? And Jesus is saying to him, no, you're not thinking about spiritual principles. You're thinking about natural principles. And so we get an inkling that Jesus is saying the only way into the kingdom of God is to be born again. But Jesus doesn't get to break down the specifics of that because Nicodemus just can't get his head around it. So Jesus gives him a little taste of it. But what Jesus is actually saying is that if we can understand what happens in our natural birth process, we can apply that to our spiritual birth process. There's actually a very exciting parallel that will help us understand what it means to be born again. So in this study, we're going to use lots of terminology and lots of imagery related to birth because it's the same language and the same symbolism that Jesus used. It's the best way to help us understand how we transition or get initiated into the fullness of salvation. Now, we all know that birth affects life. Now, Claudia had her baby a couple of weeks ago and she was overdue. Okay, and the doctors get worried when a baby's overdue. They don't want that time span to extend too much past the due date. And so what they do these days is they induce because a protracted birth gets dangerous. If you look up the other end of the spectrum, a premature birth is really dangerous. And these days they do everything in their power to make sure that the baby goes as much to term as they possibly can. But what the birth process is all about is to the best of their capacity for the midwife and the obstetrician, for the doctor, to make that baby go full term and get delivered naturally. That's the ideal way. Well, those three principles apply to spiritual birth, our entry into the kingdom of God. It can be rushed. It can be protracted too long. But the goal is to have a normal Christian birth. Now, I am incredibly passionate about this topic because I didn't have a normal Christian birth. And for 15 years, I struggled to go on with God because no one took the time to teach me the foundations of Christianity. And it's so important that we do that because if it's entry level, if it's basic and scripture's saying go on to maturity, but that maturation process can't happen till you've got the foundations set. And so sitting in churches right across Australia, right across the world, are people that are halfway through the birth process. They're stuck. And we need to understand what we need to experience, we need to go through so that we get it right. And therefore, when we lead others to the Lord, we can make sure they get everything they're supposed to get. We don't shortchange them. We take them right through the birth process. I really hope every one of you gets to lead someone to be born again. But what you do for that person at that starting phase of their journey is so critical. It will affect their capacity to mature. It will affect their capacity to go on with God. Our birth, being born again, is the single 
largest influence in our whole Christian life. Get it right, and it's beautiful. Get it wrong, and all sorts of complications happen. So scripture teaches us that there are very specific steps that we have to take. There is a process that we have to follow so that we enter into the fullness of relationship with the Trinity. And that's what I'm on about this morning. There are four key steps that lead us correctly and completely into spiritual life. Four vital elements to the new birth, four foundational things that are absolutely necessary to completely birth a Christian. The first of those is that we need to repent. Repentance. To understand that we are separated in relationship from the Father God. We have no relationship with him. We cannot because of sin. And until we acknowledge that we are sinners and acknowledge that we have offended God, that we are separated, we cannot enter into relationship. We have to remove the sin through confession and through denouncing and renouncing our old way of life, cutting that and moving on to a new way of life where we seek after righteousness and holiness. The second thing we need to do is believe in Jesus. But sometimes those two come the other way around because we really need to have faith in Christ and understand who he is and what he did before you would bother to repent. Make sense? There would be no need to really repent unless you had an understanding of God. Now, in the Old Testament, people repented and got their relationship right with God. When John the Baptist came, he challenged people to repent. But Christian repentance is understanding that it's more than that. It's a process. We understand that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Son of God who died on a cross for our sins, was buried, rose again. And what we do by faith, we appropriate what happened 2,000 years ago. Even though we weren't there, we didn't see it, we didn't witness it. We take a step of trust that Jesus did all that and we appropriate that and we bring that into our lives. And so we exercise faith and we come into a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. Then we would most probably repent. That connects us with our Father. And those two things very much go together. We must repent, we must believe in Jesus, and then we must be baptised. Now, here's where the problems often happen. The distance in time between relationship with Christ, repentance, and then baptism can be days, months, weeks, years. Okay? But the culmination of being birthed into the kingdom of God is to go through the whole process. We have to publicly identify that we have entered into the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual bath where we wash away the past and it's a spiritual experience. In a lot of churches, we've dumbed it down to be purely something that we do out of obedience, that it's not a spiritual experience. And I think that's wrong. It's a highly spiritual experience. And we should teach people to enter into baptism with an expectation that that's what it is. It's part of the process. And then the last part of the process is to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the part I missed out on. And so for 15 years, I struggled to mature. I fell backwards. I walked away from God because no one ever talked about the Spirit of God. 
No one ever taught me about the third person of the Trinity and how he was supposed to possess my life and empower me and enable me to actually live the Christian life. It was like trying to run on three cylinders in a four-cylinder car. You can sort of chug along, but it's not ideal. And so all four things have to happen to bring us through into deep relationship with God. We must repent to the Father, believe in the Son, be baptised into the death and resurrection of Jesus and then receive the Holy Spirit. That's the process. You know, it's really easy to remember. Rubber. It's where the rubber hits the road in our faith. Repent, believe, be baptised, receive. Okay? It's really easy to remember. When someone's been led to the Lord, it's so easy. You just go, have they repented? Have they believed? Have they been baptised? Have they received? And we take them through that beautiful process. We make sure they get it right. Now, in speaking with Nicodemus, Jesus used that whole idea of birth. Okay? And we know that when we go through a natural birth, there's certain things that have to happen to birth that baby completely. The fetus comes out the birth canal, but the umbilical cord has to be cut, has to be severed, cut, tied. The baby needs to be washed. The midwife normally grabs the baby and washes off the ambiotic fluid and makes sure there's no infection and cleans the nostrils out and gets that baby washed up. But you've got to make sure that baby takes its first breath. And if it doesn't, what's the midwife do? Whack. Okay? <gasps> takes in the breath, okay? So in all that process of birth, we could argue, when is that baby actually born? Is that baby actually born when the umbilical cord is cut and that baby becomes an independent being? Or is that baby really born when it takes its first breath and its lungs are filled with oxygen? We could argue at what point the baby is really born. But the midwife and the obstetrician that are there are not so much worried about what time it was on the clock when the baby came out the birth canal. They're wanting to know, is that baby fully alive? Is everything happening that should be happening for that baby? And they do what's called an APGAR test. They test the signs of the baby, appearance, pulse, grimace, activity, and respiration. So there's a process through our natural birth that makes us alive and ready to grow. And exactly the same principle applies to spiritual birth. There is a process. And the process of the natural birth parallels the process of the spiritual birth. When we cut the umbilical cord of the baby, it's exactly the same thing as repentance. We are cutting that baby away from its past existence, its connection to its mother. That existence is gone. And that's exactly what repentance is. It's cutting away our old life. It's saying that was sinful. It was rebellious against God. It was everything wrong. And we cut it off and we renounce it. And we ask God to show us the things in our life that we're still entangled in and we cut them off. We renounce them. We denounce them. But what happens in Christian circles? Oh, brother, thank you for coming forward today. Now pray, pray this prayer after me. Dear Lord Jesus, sorry that I've been a bad boy. Come into my life. Help me walk the journey. Amen. Well done, son. You're a Christian. Off you go. That is so wrong. That sets that person up to fail. They cannot really enter the fullness 
because they haven't understood it. They haven't gone through repentance. We need to give people time before God to let God show them and reveal to them what are the things that need to be cut away. Are there generational curses that need to go? Has there been things in their life that have entangled them spiritually that need to be cut? And we allow God to illuminate that in their mind and ask them to denounce it. So we have to be midwives, spiritual midwives. We have to birth people properly into the faith. The second thing is that when we wash the baby, we're cleaning away all the remnants of its last, of its previous existence. And that's very symbolic of water baptism. It's really the same thing. It's a spiritual washing. It's a spiritual cleansing. And then the third thing is that we, when we, when we see that baby take its first breath and fill its lungs, you know, that's such an important part of the natural birth process. But that's very symbolic of us receiving the Holy Spirit. You know, the word for the Spirit is fuma or, or the wind of God or the breath of God. And so what happens in, when we receive the Holy Spirit is that we breathe in the Spirit of God and we cry out in the Spirit. And that tells you that life is present. When you hear that baby cry, you go, it's alive. It's alive. So what we're going to see as we go through this series is that there are four specific steps and we're going to unpack them in a lot of detail because there's actually quite a bit of content in understanding it. The thing that we really need to do is ensure that in our own lives we've been through those four steps, that we've got everything that we're supposed to get. Because I can guarantee you, if you have not been through those four processes, something's not right. You're not walking in the fullness of what God intended for us. So let me say it again. As we enter into the Christian faith, enter into the kingdom of God, begin our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the scripture says there's a right way to do it, a correct way to ensure that we become fully spiritually alive. But unfortunately what's happened over time is that all the different Christian denominations have taken one of those four steps and blown it out of proportion and made it the most primary thing. If you were to go to the liberal stream of the church, which is like the Episcopalian churches in the United States, and you were to ask someone, what do I have to do to be born again? They would say you have to repent. That would be their primary push. Now, sadly, the liberal church has become very much wrapped up in political and social issues of injustice. But what it used to be was very much about changed attitudes and changed behaviour. They grabbed repentance and they made that the most important thing. Now, if you go to an evangelical church, like a Baptist church or a church of Christ, they will probably tell you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, son, and you'll be saved. Like they've taken that one facet and they've magnified it to be the most important thing. They're all important. I'm not saying any of them aren't. But there's no one that's more important than the other. If you were to go to the sacramental stream of the church, which is like the, the Catholic church or the Anglican church, they would tell you you were born again when your parents had you christened as a baby. That was the moment that you became a Christian. So they have a particular, uh, I guess, 
theology that says that entry into the church is through baptism. Okay? Now, we know it's not infant baptism. It has to be adult immersion. But you see what's happened? They've taken part of the process and they've said this is the most important thing. And then if you were to go to a Pentecostal stream of the church and you were to say to them, what do I have to do to be born again? You need to be filled with the Spirit. Young man, come here and let me lay hands on you and you'll speak in other tongues. That would be their emphasis. Okay? None of those emphases are wrong, but it's a quarter of the truth. And what happens when you grab a quarter of the truth and make it the whole truth is that you get into heresy. And so people sitting in those churches that are learning about being born again only get one of the steps, maybe two, three if they're really lucky. But we need all four steps. It's not the whole truth that repentance makes you a Christian. It's not the whole truth that believing in Jesus makes you a Christian. It's not the whole truth that baptism makes you a Christian. It's not the whole truth that being filled with the Spirit makes you a Christian. And here, I guess, is where I'm trying to challenge your thinking today. The New Testament teaches that all four steps are necessary. Necessary to complete the salvation process, necessary to enter the kingdom of God, necessary to be fully born again. If we see all those four as belonging together, then we are believing what the apostles taught and did. If we believe it's less than that, I don't think it's what is taught in Scripture. Now, of the four, faith in Jesus is the most important because it comes first, but it lies behind the others. Okay, It makes no sense to repent unless you really believe in Jesus and you trust who he was. Therefore, you obey and repent on the basis of that belief. And baptism, dunking someone in water, is a useless exercise unless they bring faith to it. And then we receive the Spirit by faith. So the four steps are all parts of faith and they all come beautifully together. Faith is the key. We need to see the normal Christian birth as four steps of faith and we need to walk all through those. So we would say we are justified, we are made right before God by faith alone. Okay, that's the evangelical, that's what we declare. But it's not faith that doesn't repent. It's not faith that isn't baptised. It's not faith that hasn't received the Spirit. It's a faith that does all those things as a package deal and we get properly initiated. You know, we seem to get overly caught up in Christian circles about when the person got saved. What was the moment? But I think that's assuming that regeneration or conversion happens in an instant. When I think what scripture teaches us is that there's steps to make that happen. And ideally in a normal Christian birth, that would happen subsequently to each other over a short period of time. And that person would be set, fully alive, fully ready to charge to go and live the Christian life. But what happens is we just delay the process. We don't walk people through. We don't teach them what they need to do. We say, well, look, you're only 13. Why don't you wait till you're 17 before you get baptised? It'll mean more to you. No. 
You know what I'm saying? That's what happens in Christian circles. We've got to lead people right through. The pressure point is not getting people born. The pressure point is making sure they can live and live in the fullness of what God wants for them. So I don't think we can fully say, well, the baby was born then or when we cut the cord or when we washed it or when it took its first breath. And I think the same principle applies in salvation. We need to go through the four steps. Now, when Cheryl got saved, I witnessed the normal Christian birth. A group of people came to our home. They shared the gospel about who Jesus was, what he did. Cheryl burst into tears. She repented. She acknowledged that she was a sinner before God. In a very short space of time after that, she got baptized in Karamundi Lake in my wetsuit. I remember it well. I don't know if that counts as real baptism when you have a wetsuit. <laughs> Never mind. And then shortly after that, sitting in her bedroom one night, praying and singing to God, the Holy Spirit came upon her and she spoke in other tongues. She was filled with the Spirit. Now that happened as a package in a very short space of time. And I believe it happened because she had a lady who discipled and mentored her and walked alongside her and said, Cheryl, these are the things that need to happen. And these are how they happen. Let me help you enter into the fullness. When I got saved, I was a 13-year-old young man who was terrified about going to hell. And so I made a decision because I didn't want to burn in some lake of fire. Okay? I made a decision. But no one... And I think it was genuine. I think I genuinely exercised faith in Jesus. I believed he was the son of God who died for my sins. But that's where they left me. Three years later, someone said, oh, have you been baptized? Uh-uh. Next week, you're in the pool. No one sat down and explained the significance of what that entry into water was. And so I did it, but I didn't do it understanding what should have happened. But the church we were in, I don't think the Holy Spirit existed. Honestly, I cannot remember anyone talking about being born out of water and born out of spirit, which is what Jesus was saying needs to happen. And so for 15 years, I walked around half empowered, half dead, half alive, trying to get on with walking with God and realized it's too hard. Can't do it. Didn't have the engine room, didn't have the fire of God, didn't have the breath of God in my life to even enable me how to do it. And so I shriveled up and died and walked away from my faith. That's the tragedy of what's happening all around the world in Christian circles. Repent, believe, be baptized, receive. Rubber. Let the rubber hit the road. What I really want to do just to finish up today is two quick things. I want to look at these verses. This is chapter 19 in Acts when um, Paul comes to Ephesus and he comes across a, a group of disciples. Okay? While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? And they answered, John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, 
the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Rubber. Had they repented? Yes, because they'd repented through John's baptism. They'd done box number one. Paul said, do you know about Jesus? Uh-uh. Remember John said to believe in the one coming after me? Yeah, he's the one that you've got to have faith in. Ah, oh, okay, we have faith in Jesus. On the basis of that, they went and got baptised into the Lord Jesus Christ, box number three. Then Paul said, you haven't received the Holy Spirit. Let me lay hands on you. Let me slap the baby. That's the principle. Let me lay hands on you and breathe the breath of God's life. So that's how you can tell the four have to happen. Look at this passage. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptised, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Philip told them about the Messiah and what the Messiah did. They had repented. Then he taught them of the gospel of the kingdom of God and about the Lord Jesus Christ. They had faith in Jesus. And it said that they were baptised. But when Peter and John came down, they said, something's not right. By observing them, they said something's missing. And they realised that they hadn't been baptised in the Holy Spirit. And they came along and they prayed. So what these guys, what the apostles were doing, were looking for all four signs to make sure the birthing process was fully completed. And so that's where I want to finish today. I want you to get rubber burned into your brain so you can remember the steps. Now, as you're sitting here today listening, you're checking off whether you've been through those four boxes. You need to go through all four. I can't count. And some of you will be realising that you've been shortchanged in your relationship with being connected to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The culmination of what Jesus was talking about, this is the funny part. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, don't even contain the full Gospel. There's just, there's just a glimmer of it coming. And then when we see Acts and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and we see the Gospel spreading, we see all these four things happening everywhere that the apostles went. And then when we read the epistles and down to Revelation, the rest of the Bible, they assume because they're writing to churches, they assume that the people reading have already been through all this. 
And that's why the writer of Hebrews is saying, we don't have to go over this all again because it's entry-level initiation. And if we've been initiated properly, we can run with God. And if we haven't, we need to go back. You know what the greatest key in counselling is? When someone comes and says they have a struggle in their relationship with God or in life, take them back to rubber. I can guarantee you there's a connection to one of those four that hasn't hasn't happened properly. Maybe in the whole repentance thing, it just sort of got brushed over and they didn't really sever. Now, when I was a young person, I was very into heavy metal music, heavily into it, had manifestations in my bedroom of demonic things. I had to go back and sever what I had opened my life to. It wasn't just a plithy little prayer, God, forgive me. I had to actually renounce, denounce the things that I was mixed up in. And then the cord was cut. And sometimes we need to go back and we need to allow God to show us this hasn't been dealt with. And so when we're birthing someone, don't rush it through. Allow the Holy Spirit to show them. Is there anything that God's showing you that you need to confess or ask forgiveness for? You'll be amazed. What comes up? Oh, I think this, I think that. Great. Denounce it, confess it, move on. And so what we do is we cut that beautiful cord away and allow them to enter in. So do you hear what I'm saying today? Repent, believe, be baptised, receive. We're going to unpack those four over the next couple of weeks because I think it's really important that if we can get those basics right and ensure that they're right in our lives, that when we're a catalyst in leading people to Christ, we'll give them everything they need. We'll set them ready to fly and not waddle, to use Fred's illustration from last week. I waddled for 15 years. I don't want to see anyone waddle. I want to see you fly. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you and praise you for, I guess, Lord, you've made it so simple and yet it's a very complicated thing. But, Lord, I I give you thanks that we can enter into fullness, into knowing our Heavenly Father who loves us. And no longer is the wrath of God against us. No longer are we condemned to separation from our Father for eternity, but we can cry out and call him Abba Father, my Dad. And Lord Jesus, you made that possible. You were the mediator between God and man. You took my place. You took the place of everyone here. You hung on that cross when it should have been me. You gave your life so that I might have life in you. And Lord, I celebrate today that through faith, We can be identified in the death and the resurrection of Jesus and we can enter into that new life, have the past washed away and walk in intimacy with the Saviour, knowing the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But Lord, even greater, I praise you that your Spirit dwells within us. When you said you would never leave us nor forsake us, that was the most incredible promise. Nobody imagined that the divine would inhabit the human. But I praise you, God, that you fill us. You fill us to overflowing. And that life is demonstrated through the prophetic and through the gift of tongues. It's self-evident that you dwell within us, that we have life. And I praise you for that power, that breath of life that comes. Lord, as we journey through this, I pray that everyone that hears this message will enter in. Lord, give them courage to go back if there's something not set right. 
And Lord, for us that have been through the process and entered into the fullness, help us to be disciples, help us to be mentors, help us to be spiritual midwives that allow people to learn and to discover what they need to do to enter the fullness of being born again. Lord, I'm longing for the day when we see lots of people baptised because they never have been. And Lord, I long to see your spirit poured out on people that have never encountered the third person of the Trinity in that way before. It is such a beautiful thing to see the anointing of God flow on someone's life. Lord, it's what we were supposed to do from the very beginning. It's your plan. Lord, help us fulfill it completely in all of our lives, I ask. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You got a headache? That's good. It's good stuff, isn't it? Really good stuff. Have a great week, everyone. There is a beautiful, it's not the last supper, but there's a beautiful supper out there. I know there'll be a few rev heads dying to go home and watch Bathurst, but rugby's on too. Yeah, that's 3.30. It's all right, plenty of time to get home. So have a great week, everyone. If, if there's anyone who's sick or would need, would like some prayer, please stick around. Go and have a cup of tea. You've probably had more than enough to soak in today. Have a great week, everyone. God bless you. Hey, thanks for worship today too, Cara. It was really special. Thank you.